This week on the Pro Wrestling Podcast, podcast. Brett Favre is suing Pat McAfee over comments made on the Pat McAfee show in regards to a recent scandal in Mississippi. Comedian Mark Marin hosts multiple AEW wrestlers on his podcast WTF this week as he takes the journey to becoming a wrestling fan. Dax Harwood reveals how the real-life animosity between FTR and the Young Bucks got started, and Tony Khan, too? Plus, Mandy Rose will rate your what? I'm your host, Seth Grimes, and this is the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. What the fuck is up, everybody? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Come on in to another episode of the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. I am your boy, Seth Grimes, your humble host here as always on a Super Bowl weekend. Everybody's gearing up for the big game. The big game. Everybody calls it the big game. I'm not a big sports ball guy. I don't get all the fuss about it. I'm more excited to see what is Rihanna performing the halftime show. I'm more excited to see that, what kind of Illuminati stuff she's going to do in the fucking halftime show and all that fun stuff. That's what I'm into it for. And, of course, the munchies. I hope you all enjoy your chicken wings and your chili dips and your beers and whatever the fuck else people do on the big game weekend. I'm excited to just talk about some fucking wrestling. That's what I'm here for. But, like I said, I'm not a big sports ball guy. But, speaking of sports ball, we got a pretty big story in the world of sports ball that very much relates to the world of professional wrestling. And that is our top story this week. Brett Favre is suing the shit. Out of Pat McAfee, along with Shannon Sharp and the auditor of the state for dragging his good name through the mud. Of course, everybody knows Brett Favre, the famous, everybody's favorite quarterback from the Minnesota, famous for his time in the Minnesota Vikings, right? Brett Favre, the great Minnesota Vikings quarterback. He also spent a little bit of time in the Packers, but everybody really remembers his run with the Vikings. And uh, Brett Favre, he was also a Falcon, too, believe it or not. Hey, I know some shit about sports ball. What do you know? Uh, I was trading cards in, like, school and stuff, high school or junior high. Like, I was into the cards and stuff. So I know a thing or two, but I don't watch that shit anymore. But I know Brett Favre is awfully pissed off that his good name is getting dragged through the mud as he has lashed back at the sports media this week. Firing lawsuits in every direction to protect his good name. Of course, this goes back to the big scandal in Mississippi from a couple years ago now. Uh, but more just seems to be coming out about this. Us in the wrestling world are going to be familiar with this story as it pertains to the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase. Uh, apparently, there was a... 
uh, a fund that the government was putting together that was strictly designated to benefit the poor people, the poor community in Mississippi. And uh, whoever was running this fucking this fund here was using it basically as a slush fund to deal out funds to his buddies and cronies all around town and just fund all this shit out of this out of this uh, account that was meant to benefit the poor. Ted DiBiase, of course, uh, famously part of that, receiving part of that for his ministries and his son, his children. Uh, just as a quick refresher, check out this clip from about a year ago. Uh, Jim Cornette talking about this very thing on his podcast. Mississippi history. Oh, Three when members you say of it like Charlie in Starkville, Mississippi. <sighs> I shouldn't pile on Ted DiBiase and his family. Oh, boy. But being a proud Mississippian, I'm going to. This next one was sent to cornydrivethru at gmail.com from Charlie in Starkville, Mississippi. <sighs> I shouldn't pile on Ted DiBiase and his family. Oh, boy. But being a proud Mississippian, I'm going to. From their involvement in the biggest embezzlement scheme in Mississippi history. Oh, God. Three when members you say of, it like that, it sounds unsavory. Three members of the DiBiase family have been ordered to pay back stolen welfare money to the state. Ted DiBiase Jr. must repay $3.9 million plus interest. Ouch. Ted DiBiase Sr. must return $722,299 that his Christian ministry received. And finally, Brett DiBiase has to repay $225,950. What are your thoughts on the DiBiase family stealing millions in welfare money from the state of Mississippi? Oh, come on. I don't... I, is stealing it a right, the proper word? They didn't, like, go and knock somebody over the head and pick their pocket. They just well, misdirected funds from the state that were to be used for poor people to, for their own ends. <laughs> Stealing. Make it sound any better. <laughs> I like Ted DiBiase. I've never. So now, flash forward, and allegedly, and we'll get to that word here in a minute, but allegedly, Brett Favre has been tied to this fund as well as he was reportedly taking payouts from this fund meant for the poor community of Mississippi. And, of course, Brett Favre, a huge celebrity in Mississippi. He's, you know, Mississippi's favorite son, as you would imagine, and uh, very heavily involved in the community there and very friendly with everybody. And he had this schmooze deal where he got funds donated, allegedly, to help uh, his daughter's school build a whole fucking volleyball stadium that, you know, she's a volleyball player. So daddy got a stadium built for her to play volleyball in. And uh, a couple other donations. Apparently he was he came up with a fucking cream that you could just kind of, you know, rub on your head and it would relieve concussion pain or something. I don't know. I didn't research it. But mysterious funding came from that as well. And... Also, <laughs> on top of that, he was taking payments from somebody from somewhere for speeches that he never actually went and did. So lots of money getting moved around. And uh, Brett, of course, denied all of this, saying that he didn't know where these money this, this money was coming from. He didn't know it was coming out of this fund meant for the poor. 
And, of course, all of that was uh, thought to be bullshit, though nobody knew for sure. And then now text messages have later come out tying Brett Favre or at least, uh, you know, putting him in more hot water, if you will, making the case look worse for Brett where he's asking in these text messages about will the media find out where this money's coming from? Now, uh, his his attorneys have already come out and they're fighting this and they're denying this, um, but it's not looking good for Brett. And this has caused the sports media world to kind of talk about it on their show. And now Brett has gone on the offense and he has filed lawsuits against three of the the biggest offenders of this, I guess, was the auditor who who found this shit in the first place. He's getting sued. And then uh, Shannon Sharp, apparently, uh, you know, he has a some kind of a show of some kind. He played for the Packers, too. He played with Brett Favre, right? So, um, right, that was Shannon Sharp, right? Uh, I know there was two brothers. Uh, there was Sterling Sharp and Shannon Sharp. Pretty sure Shannon was Packer. Um and then there was, uh, you know, and then Pat McAfee, unfortunately, got roped into this. So uh, first, I'm going to play you a clip of some of the reactions that Pat McAfee had on his show. Some of the things that he had said that were causing Bret Hart to claim was defamatory and what he's suing for. Then we're going to go ahead and move into Pat McAfee's response to the lawsuit itself. Check out these clips. Brett Favre, AJ. Brett Favre. What now? Your oh. former teammate. Bro, I, I think we're going to be able to say what now for a while now because this is wow. what I think it happened. Now, it is alleged. This is all allegedly. But it is alleged that two companies that Brett Favre was a part of rounded up some money, I believe, from the Welfare Fund of Mississippi mm -hmm. to kind of build a business around concussion cream that was not effective, I guess, is what also was being alluded to, and something else in the medical department. What I think is being alleged in the grander scheme here is you're talking about bad guy, hey, finding out that there's a plug that you can get to. And in 2020, I believe two people pleaded guilty. The head of the welfare uh, fund, and Nick, correct me if I'm wrong, and also the head of the nonprofit uh, whatever in Mississippi. These two people in 2020 pled guilty to fraud, fraudulent schemes. Yep. So I think what had happened was Brett Favre was introduced to these people who had control over the welfare fund and over the nonprofit part of the Mississippi government funds. And their conversation was, hey, we have access to, they're saying like 20, 30 million dollars. We have access to this money that's supposed to go to the welfare fund. We can figure out, so donations to schools, business investments, because mm -hmm. we can market that we're investing in the fund, so we're trying to grow the fund, but we just so happen to be investing in businesses that are owned by friends of ours, let alone any other money that was potentially going out. There's a lawsuit for $20 million plus against this group. So we're not just talking about small amounts of money here. We're talking about a scheme in which the person that was running the welfare fund in Mississippi had access to the fund and was divvying it apparently to friends and businesses. This is like classic why everybody trusts nobody anymore. This is people in positions to help people, fucking people over blatantly and deliberately, allegedly, obviously, in this whole thing. And Brett is just one of like 38 names that is listed in this entire thing. And it is all bad, AJ. It is all bad. I mean, it is not good at all. 
In other news tonight, former football star Brett Favre is suing St. Auditor Shad White and two sports broadcasters, Shannon Sharp and Pat McAvee. Uh, Favre alleges defamation in his filing in Hines County Circuit Court. He is citing White's criticism of his involvement in the state's multi-million dollar TANF fraud scandal. I'm getting sued by Brett Favre. What? <laughs> yeah, Come we made on. it, boys. Hey. You're right. Take a bow. Let's raise our, our drinks. Sure. When we started this little show in the basement of a house that certainly was haunted. Yep. And the mics rarely worked, and we talked for an hour and a half on numerous occasions and found out that we weren't recording. This show has grown so much that we're lucky to be live from Radio Row. Yeah. We're lucky to have a little bit of say in sports. We're thankful that we have the opportunity every day to be a part of the sports media world. And I guess whenever you get a little bit too big, you fly a little bit too close to the sun. That's right. I'm getting sued alongside Shannon Sharp and an auditor from Mississippi <laughs> by Brett fucking Favre. Wow. Man. Brett Favre suing me in a defamation lawsuit saying I defamed his name to try to earn a profit. With this, obviously, I believe comes discovery and depositions and all these other things. So I would like to let the New York lawyers that wrote me two letters before this thing got announced. First letter was, we would like you to go back and erase every single video that has Brett Favre's name mentioned in it from your YouTube library, your Twitter library, and everything else. This is a warning shot, pretty much. Huh. So I looked at that, I said, that is hilarious. Of course we're not doing that. Put that down, move on with my life. Then a few days later, just a few days ago actually, mm -hmm. you have until Wednesday, okay? This Super Bowl week, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time to issue a public apology to Brett Favre and also to erase all of the video in your catalog that involved Brett Favre's name that is 8 30 wednesday so my wife read that to me because i was here she was not here yet and i immediately started laughing because my wife understands i'm one of the worst apologizers in history <laughs> it's tough to get me to do it it is it's very difficult so now i had a deadline 8 30. i was planning on doing it yeah we played pickleball True. we did it right, happens flew right oh it. i'm sorry well, i just do. learned about a drop shot oh <laughs> i'm sorry i just learned how to serve with like a wicked top spin on it uh -huh. And I got caught up. That timeline came and went. And all of a sudden, I'm getting sued. I would like to let everybody know the quotes that were in that lawsuit were certainly accurate. But there's one word I believe that was said often on this particular program, if you were to watch it all, and that would be allegedly. That's right. Allegedly, obviously, in this whole thing. Our job is to report the news. Allegedly, what was going on down in Mississippi with Brett Favre, the man who was suing me for money and for defamation, was being reported on this particular program because we owe the sports media world our coverage of it. Mm -hmm. We take our job seriously as journalists. We had to cover that situation, and uh, we certainly said allegedly. And a lot of people are wondering how my lawyers are going to handle this. You know it. I ain't got them. So <laughs> let's ride this fucker. I'm excited to see how it goes. I'll see you in court, pal. Now, you'll notice because news broke for the Brett Favre lawsuit on Pat McAfee before Pat McAfee responded on his show. So I was already reviewing clips for this segment and kind of putting this segment together um, before McAfee even responded to this. And I was already going to argue because it's clear as day 
in those segments. If you go back and listen, I'm not going to re-clip it out for you, but if you caught it or if you go back and listen, he does clearly say at least a couple times in what I've watched, allegedly. I've never heard Pat McAfee talk about Brett in any of the videos that I watched about it, and I did go back and review the different clips. Now, I didn't sit and listen through multiple shows of his, um, but there are several clips of him talking about this. And in all of those clips, it's allegedly. Now, he's you know he is going off of the news that's being reported, and he's talking about the news that's being reported. And you can't have a sports show and not talk about what's going on in current events in the world of sports. And Brett Favre is a big fucking deal in the world of sports. He's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, right? So he's going to get that attention from the sports media. You know, uh, Shannon Sharp and then Pat McAfee included. Pat seems overly enjoyed about this. At least that's the face he's putting on for the show. Pat's funny as fuck. I am I am endlessly entertained by Pat McAfee. I think he's he's absolutely brilliant and effortlessly brilliant in his presentation of just his character. It's just him. It's just who he is. And it, it jumps to life on the screen and on the microphone. And he's fantastic at what he does. He's brushing us off. I ain't got a lawyer. I'll represent myself. I don't care. He's like, I'm pretty sure I said allegedly and everything. And he certainly did. I think it'll be hard to find him saying anything in his show that is outright defamatory to Brett. Now, this is uh, this defam defamation is very hard to prove. Uh, not only do you have to prove that they were just outright recklessly defaming you, you know, but they also you also have to be able to prove damages. Now, this will certainly be damage to Brett Favre's reputation, so I think they might be able to get that proven. Um, but to to show, I mean, I, it's clear as day. McAfee has said allegedly in in everything, and he knows what he's doing. He's smart. It's the same thing I would do too. If you're gonna speak on something that hasn't been proven or ruled in court yet, like this. They're allegations, innocent till proven guilty. I stand by that. You know, as bad as it looks for Brett, we gotta you gotta let the courts decide and play things out. But you can't have a sports show if you're Sterling Sharp or you're Pat McAfee and and not fucking and not talk about the Brett Favre situation, especially as the plot thickens. And look, I pulled news clips too from different news stations. Talking about these these uh, texts and stuff. So this isn't just alleged rumor shit. This is being covered by major shows. Now, I didn't plug that in because I figured with Pat McAfee's reaction to this, I would center it more on the Pat McAfee show specifically than just, you know, the overall case for Brett. But all that information's out there. There's lots linking him to this scandal in Mississippi. And Brett's fighting it. And he's out there actively you know, on the offense about this thing. But at the end of the day, uh, you can't blame people for talking about it, you know, as long as they're slipping in that allegedly, because we don't know until we know, until the courts sort it all out, you know, only God and fucking the court system will know 
what the truth is in this thing. And, you know, McAfee, by all accounts, and look, I'm not an expert. I'm certainly not a legal expert, but I'll tell you what I am. I'm a journalist. I'm a podcast journalist, goddammit. And I also have a journalism degree. And in journalism, you're not barred from writing about this kind of shit as long as you are careful with your wording. Allegedly covers your bases. You are saying that people are alleging. That's what allegedly means. So here is the story. Allegedly. People are alleging that this is a thing that's happening. And this is that that's fair fucking game, especially on a news show. And it pisses me off as a journalist, as a podcaster, as a YouTuber, as a guy who's just all for free speech and anti-censorship. I think it's bullshit that you can't fucking you people. Look, I guess I'm going a little bit too far there because the use of allegedly should be cut and dry. But I also get you can sue a ham sandwich, they say, if you want to. Doesn't mean you're going to win, but you can. And this is, uh, you know, more than just. A lawsuit over defamation. This is a lawsuit to protect Brett's image, a way for him to go on the offensive. Uh, for one, you know, they sent, as you saw in the clip there, they sent cease and desist to McAfee, and I'm sure, you know, Sterling Sharp got him and all that too, or Shannon Sharp, whatever, the guy, the football guy. So, they got the cease and desist. Maybe it was in hopes that they would just get this to go away. Pat McAfee obviously isn't scared of it. He's wearing it as a badge of honor. <laughs> we made it to the big time now, boys. Let's celebrate. You know what I mean? He don't give a fuck. At least on on camera, he doesn't give a fuck, you know, because he, he feels his bases are covered, and I feel like they are too. I think this is more of a way that for Brett to protect his image and just kind of go on the offense and try to maybe make some of this stuff go away. Or just at least make himself, you know, if he just sits back and takes it all, then that makes him look worse than him coming out and saying, hey, fuck you, fuck you, you guys are ruining my character. Uh, I get where he's coming from with that. So it's at least worth a try, but I think Pat's going to be just fine in this situation. As for Brett, I don't know. Uh, I, I think it'll be for the courts to decide. I think the, the hang up right now is that Brett's got texts with the person that's already pled guilty. So look, the 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 person that was responsible for this fund and I believe his aide too. Uh, both pled guilty and are serving multiple. The the head of this fund is serving like 30 years or was sentenced to 30 plus years for this scandal. They're using fucking taxpayer dollars meant for the poor to give out to their fucking homies around town. And, uh, you know, Ted DiBiase was a part of that. His son, especially. Uh, Ted DiBiase owes like maybe 700000 I think. That, is that what was said in Cornette's clip? But Junior, Ted, Teddy Junior, almost $4 million. Ouch. Oh, I don't think he made that in wrestling. That's going to be a tough one. Uh, Look to see him back out on the indies trying to pay off his fucking his, his debt to Mississippi. Um. But look, Brett can say I didn't know where it was coming from in the text. The texts were with the aid of this office. So like the direct it was like a direct contact to the guy managing this fund, you know. Um, but certainly Brett is at this point, uh, the argument on his side is that uh, this was more of 
Brett just not wanting because he's a very wealthy football player doesn't want anybody in the media to catch wind that he needed help to get this facility I don't know if that'll stick but look it's not for me to decide and I've ranted about this enough because I'm not a sports ball guy but Pat McAfee a wrestling guy good old uh, member of our wrestling community as the commentator for Smackdown and, of course, this ties back to the Million Dollar Man. So it is definitely in the wheelhouse of professional wrestling. And we'll keep an eye on this if anything develops. But I think, you know, for the most part, Pat is right to kind of just be laughing this off at this point. Because it's going to be very, very hard to prove uh, defamation against McAfee or that he had ill intent or that he was trying to hurt Brett or that, you know, just that allegedly is going to protect him all the way through. So uh, that's my two cents about it. But uh, hey, if I got anything wrong, if you're more of a legal expert on this or if you know anything else, just want to contribute in any way, go ahead and leave your thoughts down in the comments below. I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next. Oh, 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 Seth Rollins was on the Pat McAfee show this week, chatting with Pat very much in character about his upcoming Elimination Chamber match, gunning for that U.S. title again. I don't think he should be in the U.S. title picture. I think, I think it makes him look lower again. It's like a drop down. Even if he's not going to be competing for a world title anytime soon, he can still be perceived as a world title talent by just not wrestling for a lower level belt. You know, he's in personal feuds until he can be in a world title picture again, I think. Uh, but that's just a sidebar, you know. We're talking about this Pat McAfee show appearance with Seth Rollins. Very much in character. I love when wrestlers do interviews in character because they still tone it down and they mix in a lot of real answers, but they're still still got that element of the gimmick in there with him. And Pat McAfee is amazing for this. He was fucking with Seth the whole time and kind of pushing him and playing with him and, and just just leaning into the whole character work and the that whole experience of it, and I loved it so much. And it was in this particular clip right here, speaking of leaning into it and doing all the character work, where it seems absolutely obvious if it wasn't from Logan Paul eliminating Seth Rollins at the Royal Rumble that we are absolutely heading to a Seth Rollins versus Logan Paul match at WrestleMania as they started to build more of the foundation for that in this clip right here. You were in there. I was, uh... And then you got dumped on your face by Logan Paul. Oh, Oh, no. oh my God. Logan oh, grabbed you geez. by the ass and said, get the fuck out of here, dude. That's <laughs> yeah, what Logan Paul did. He's yeah. been remarkable. Yeah. Logan Paul has been absolutely remarkable. Yeah. Him and Ricochet did that slingshot cross body cool. in the middle of it. He Hell was of a still, still able to eliminate yeah. Seth Rollins oh, after man. that. He had a, a chance with uh, Roman over there at yep. the Crown Jewel. Put on an incredible match. Thought he was going to be Roman Reigns. Yeah. And now he's just dumping you guys. Logan so, has been amazing. So, so you're a Logan Paul fan. You're on the Logan Paul bandwagon. Well, I think is it's that, hard not to just respect what he has done. I mean, sure. he's unbelievable. He came in there just, what was it? How about when he selfie? Oh, my God. He was up on the top. Seth, I see you go up there before. He was up on the top with a selfie. Hey, mm. Seth. Seth. Mm. This is what he did. Yeah. Boom. Frog splash. Oh, with the camera on him. Wait, wait, wait. So, so, so all of us who've come off the top rope before, it's not 
it's not as special because we just didn't have a camera pointed at our oh, own stupid face. Oh, you got to do Stu's job, too. Stu's cameraman there. Yeah. <laughs> Stu, we we have jobs. people whose job it is to shoot us and make us look. We don't, I don't need a, a selfie to make myself oh, look good. Oh, it was cool, though. It was yeah. so yeah. cool. It was so cool. It was so cool. The guy doesn't care about nothing but himself, man. Whoa. He doesn't care about nothing but himself. My brother. I, look, I can respect the hustle, all right? I, I respect the hustle. I really do because it takes hustle to get where he's at and to get the opportunities that he's he's got. But at the end of the day, it's about passion. He, he like No one's just going to suit up and play NFL football because they're a social media superstar, right? They're going to get creamed. So Detroit. he's going to step into my world, and he's going to get creamed. And if you look, if you want to contribute and you want to give back to our industry, you're a fan of it, you're a fan of it. You love it, right, yeah. Pat? Yeah. You're a fan of it. You love it. You give back to it. You talk about it. Any chance you get, you put it over. Hell yeah. You love it. That's not him, dude. That's not him. He's in it for himself. Oh. He's in it for himself. He's in it for his own gain. So I don't, I don't want you a part of my business if you're just going to leech off of it and you're going to take from it. Great if you're going to come and you're going to help out and you're going to make everything as good as you can. But if you're going to come and you're going to do it for you, and, and look, I can only judge based on what he's done in the past, yeah. his own history, yep. and because that's, that's a foretelling for the future. That's why I don't like the guy. That's why I don't dig the guy. And he's going to go rub it in on social media. He's going to talk his talk, but he don't want to say nothing to my face. What? He don't want to say nothing to my face. Oh, that doesn't that. sound like Logan. Logan. Oh, no, it doesn't sound like Logan. Yeah, yeah, right. He, wow. of course not. That. He fought Floyd Mayweather. Yeah. Yeah. Right, fought he Floyd Mayweather. Oh, right. I thought this was so fucking funny when Pat gets up on the desk and he's like, Seth, hey, Seth, look, look. Look, Seth, this is what he did. This is what he did. And Seth's like trying to ignore it the whole time. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Pat's just being such like an annoying child. Just, no, look, look, up here, up here. This is what he did. <laughs> just, he's he does that at, in the commentary booth too, where he'll just stand up on the table and it's great. I love that energy. He does that while he's talking too. He's one of the few uh hosts where he'll just stand he's got must have just a ton of like add energy running through him right because he just stands up and talks most of the time you know he'll do that at the commentator table too he's just he's he's great his personality is fantastic and the way him and seth were playing off of each other in this interview i love when these kind of interviews happen because seth is i mean it's a shoot interview it's a normal interview seth is keeping it realistic but he's blending just a little bit of that character work in there you know he's looking obnoxious and you know pat made fun of that too which is great uh, yeah, i think he what did he say you look like an asshole in the in the in the uh interviews it's very funny shit um but you know rollins and you get and it, you almost half wonder is rollins mixing in some truth with what he's saying about logan because now this will be the second one i covered this a couple weeks ago where john morrison on the insight podcast with chris van vliet talked with him and uh, i have a clip of that in my back catalog if you want to check that out where morrison kind of questions Logan Paul's passion for wrestling, how he doesn't really talk about it when he's outside of wrestling, that he's just kind of using it to benefit him. And that was kind of the same thing that Rollins was echoing here. And we know Rollins from also a couple weeks ago when he when he uh, said what he said about CM Punk, that Rollins isn't afraid to bite his t or, you know, he, he won't bite his tongue with things. You know, he'll just tell it like it is. He's not scared. 
Uh, and he's got enough clout to do that too. You know, nobody's gonna nobody's gonna spank him in the back anymore. He's Seth freaking Rollins at this point, right? Especially being married to Becky, he truly has a. They are a power couple in the company. They they have sway. So um, hopefully he doesn't really I, look. I've addressed I addressed this with Morrison and I'll I'll push back a little bit here too. No, Logan's not out there just representing WWE 24/7. He's out there trying to push Prime. He got that deal with the UFC. Uh he's got his YouTube channel or his podcast, all that. I mean, Logan is his is his own brand. He's not WWE for life, you know. Um but I do think he has a passion for it. I think he shows it just by being in the ring and contributing as much as he does and giving as much to it. Like he really puts effort into it. You know, he trains hard for the matches. He takes the big bumps. He's physical. He's not afraid to get physical or get hurt. And look, he has wrestlers on his podcast often enough. Not all the time, but it's not a wrestling podcast. But he he's mixed them into the mix pretty regularly now. And, you know, they'll talk about it on the show from time to time, especially, you know, anytime after the Royal Rumble, Royal Rumble got a big spotlight on his show. And that gets a whole nother viewership than, you know, WWE listeners will normally listen to. So the more that that audience is exposed little by little to the outside world of professional wrestling, the more a couple of them might get curious and get drawn in. Uh, I think Logan has a passion for it. I think it's. Uh, I think it's a bit unfair to say that he, he's being selfish about the wrestling business and he's just using it to project himself. Um, I would like to think that that's character work by Seth Rollins. I would like to think that he's just building the storyline, you know, and that's probably is what he's doing. But we did just hear him shoot on CM Punk a couple weeks ago. And though he did it in a in a character, in his character, uh, he's, it certainly seemed pretty, uh, pretty damn, pretty much like a shoot if you ask me. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see, but they're clearly building up to this now. That I think this is absolutely the direction they go. I think this leads to Rollins probably being a guest on Impulsive at some point. And uh, when he is, we'll certainly cover that here. And, uh, you know, probably some kind of confrontation. I don't know why, like I said, I don't know why Seth is involved with the U.S. title right now. Um, unless the idea is to give him the U.S. title and then uh, have if they think they need the United States title to be on the line in the match between Seth and Logan. I certainly don't think they do, though. I think that's a marquee match as it is without the belt. So I, I think it just makes Seth look less than by even being in that mix. But, hey, that's just me. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm certainly excited to see it. I know uh, at least rumors were the initial plan was Logan Paul versus John Cena. I would really love to see that match, too. Uh, but it looks like just with Cena's availability for it, he wasn't really going to be around to practice much, which Logan very much needs to practice as still basically being a celebrity wrestler. Uh, though I think he's earning his wings pretty quickly, you know. Some some celebrities have taken to it well. Bad Bunny gets a lot of praise, but I think he's more going through the motions of it. But I think like a Stephen Amell is a great example of a celebrity that just got bit by the pro wrestling bug and it's kind of in his blood now and I think like he 
he's he's had enough matches and enough experience where I think Stephen Amell is you know you could get you could say he's a worker. I don't know you know not experienced or anything like that, but I think he's he's he I think he deserves to be called one of the boys. I do, and I think Logan Paul's there. I think Logan Paul has. Uh, you know, he's, he's shown that he's willing to give his all for this. And I think that deserves that respect. And he's done it enough times. It wasn't just a one-off. It wasn't just to promote something. He's going to probably keep coming back. He loves it. He, he clearly loves it. The way he talks about it, he loves it. So uh, to say he's not passionate about wrestling, I think, is just disingenuous or uneducated. You know, give him a little bit more credit. But, hey, he's a natural heel, and he's kind of a douchebag. So I get also people wanting to be like, boo that man. Fuck everything he does. You know, he's going to get the Miz treatment where, oh, you don't belong here, even though he's been here for longer than everybody else in the entire locker room at this point. Miz still gets the, he's pointed to as that real world guy. Miz, you know, so uh, some people will just never live that kind of shit down, apparently. So, but uh, hey, man, Seth Rollins, Logan Paul, it's going to be a hell of a fucking match. And uh, if this is any indication to the buildup, I think we're in for a good buildup on this, too where they can kind of play off that realism and Seth can kind of challenge Logan on, you know, how dedicated is he to pro wrestling? How loyal is he? How passionate is he? We're going to find out. It's going to be fun. I'm excited to see it. and I'm glad Logan's coming back for Mania. So there's a very fascinating podcast I think every wrestling fan needs to go listen to and uh, kind of make it their priority to put it on their listening list for some point this week. Uh, as Mark Marin, the stand-up comedian and actor who was in Glow, wrestling fans might know him from that. And uh, he has a very famous podcast called WTF where he has several celebrities on. He is one of the biggest podcasts in the world. And he's got a very eclectic, wide range of listeners that are not wrestling fans. But uh, you know how this wrestling world works, man. People that love it fucking love it. And they come in all shapes, sizes, and places. And Mark Marin's producer, longtime producer since back in the radio days, apparently is a giant Mark, like the Markiest of Marks, like all of us, like knows all the details and shit, you know, and can quote you the stuff. So he's a big fan and he is more of an AEW guy than a WWE guy. And they kind of came up with this idea, long story short, for Mark Marin to learn something new, to discover something new, for him to find other things out in the world that maybe he hasn't been open to before. And he was part of this glow show, but he never really took the time to learn much about pro wrestling. He's interviewed wrestlers before, but never really thought more about wrestling than it was as fake fighting shit, right? That's what most people outside of our little wrestling bubble universe think of when they think of wrestling. That's why like a Joe Rogan is so dismissive of it. As much as he knows and likes and respects wrestlers and he he gets that these guys are tough and stuff, but at the end of the day, he fundamentally looks at it as fake fighting bullshit. Or UFC is real. Why would you watch the fake stuff? Like the the brain does not comprehend 
what wrestling actually is. And that's why this podcast with Mark Marin was so important because his producer and, and Mark t- kind of came up with this idea to teach Mark the business of pro wrestling as a fan and not just like as a fan, like, oh, you know, this is fake fighting and this is what they do. But he kind of took him inside deep dive, the psychology of wrestling, the why behind the what, the showbiz aspects of it, the characters, the personalities and all of that. And as part of this podcast, uh, Mark Marin was invited to go par- be backstage at the Dynamite that was recently in L.A. And he did a series of interviews with professional wrestlers and uh, Tony Khan as well. So I'm going to play you a couple clips of those and we're going to kind of analyze each of them in order here. I want to walk you through this and, and I'm only going to play a little bit of it because I really want you to uh, go check this out because it's endlessly fascinating watching somebody that's not a wrestling fan learn the business, like really learn it, go deep into it. And, and get that appreciation for it. Uh, check out this first clip with Chris Jericho talking with Mark Marin about the wrestling business. Before watching it with Brendan, I, it wasn't that I judged it because I talked to a lot of wrestlers. I understand that it's a it's an art mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that there's a it's a performative art, right? Uh, but like I didn't really believe that I'd necessarily get past the knowing. That, that it's not really uh, about whether – it has to be convincing. Sure. It has you, to be good. Yeah, but you know that there's an orchestration of moves. Yeah. But, like, I, it very quickly just became about – I became invested in the characters. Well, and you'll see, like, for example, tomorrow night, my my gang, the Jericho Appreciation Society. Yeah. I had a match against this up-and-coming guy, Ricky Starks, who's getting really popular with the crowd. He beat me, and then after he beat me, my gang – kick the shit out of him and, and throw him through a table and, and really kicked his ass, right? Oh, yeah. So tomorrow night, we're going to come out to gloat about how great we are. So you guys are the heels? We're the heels. Yeah. And then Ricky will come out and Action Andretti will come out and there'll be a little confrontation, which will lead to the next week's storyline. So some weeks you wrestle. Yeah. Some weeks you do the storytelling. There's also a huge comedic, ridiculous, preposterous side to it as well, yeah. which is something I've always been attracted to also. Yeah. I can go have the five-star match, and I can also do a song and dance routine. He's breaking down that psychology. This is stuff that we all know as wrestling fans, but to somebody on the outside, it's almost like a revelation when they get that extra added layer of this is the why behind the what, you know? It's not, oh, we're going out to pretend we're beating each other up. It's like we're, we're telling a story here. Yeah, and it was fascinating listening to Chris kind of lay that out. And Mark was engaged, and he was actively participating, and, and he had his Marky producer there to help him along, but Mark was actively like... Ask, he was trying to learn more about this and he would ask why is and this is what made this so fascinating and this led to his next interview that he did with the owner of AEW Mr. Tony Khan everybody's favorite promoter right booker of the year two years running um, but th- this was a fascinating part of the interview as well where Mark Marin was kind of trying to dive into the what like the promoter part of professional wrestling and kind of how that works. And that's what he was getting out of Tony. Check out this clip. 
you? I really uh, wanted to work in sports my whole life, and yeah. I've had this great opportunity for over a decade to do it now. My dad, uh, you know, his dream was to buy a football team. And just like I think my dream was to launch a wrestling promotion. And so I got to be a part of that. And for 11 seasons now, I've worked in the NFL and been working on football stats, which is something else I really love. Wait, love. so your dad owns a team? Yeah, my dad owns the Jacksonville Jaguars. You're doing that as well? Well, I do football statistics and put together uh, scouting reports based on data and put together information on the draft and our games for the coach and for the general manager. I do that. Uh, also, I'm the general manager and sporting director of Fulham Football Club in the Premier League. Yeah. So I, uh, That's in the UK. So he's literally going—he's got a team in Europe— a team in Jacksonville, Florida, and this National Wrestling so Federation. Is, so wait, so now is the wrestling like a hobby? No, not at all. It's a full-time thing. I, it's like uh, I juggle all this work, but I really love it. And and do you? who does all the writing? I, I put the matches together, and I try to work with all the different wrestlers to put their stories together. So I don't hand them scripts. I think that's one of the things that makes the two shows really different. There's writers, uh, and including people you know, like like you know, a lot of people— that are names in Hollywood, like yeah. have written for WWE, and it's great. And I think, like Brendan said, it's just a different feel of show because you're more likely to get like handed a script. When Chris Jericho, who you just talked to earlier today, um, came to AEW, he told me he was saying this is really trippy because I haven't done an interview without a script in 20 years. It was funny that he asked if this was just a hobby because that's what, like, a Cornet listener, for example, right? You know, that's their impression of Tony Khan is this is just his fun. And, and look, it is. I shouldn't even just say a, a Cornet listener. Yes, I think Tony sees it as a serious business. But at the end of the day, it's play money, and he's just playing. Like, he doesn't actually care if he, he wants this to succeed. I'm not saying he doesn't, but does he actually care? the end of the day or is he just is it just more about having fun doing it right so uh it was just it was fascinating hearing mark kind of pick his brain on those aspects of it but uh that was one of the better tony khan interviews it was shorter but uh i highly like i said i'm gonna keep saying that i highly recommend you go listen to this because it was one of the more fascinating Tony Khan interviews and Tony's really good at spewing numbers and trying to put over storylines and all that silly stuff that he always does but this is one of the uh, I guess just that outside of wrestling perspective brain trying to figure out the why and not figure out just the why but figure out the why from Tony Khan like why how what when you know, like he's, it's, this is where he, uh, you've seen the cornet clip, I'm sure, where, uh, he's talking about flipping the notebook over that came from this interview as well. I promise you just need to go listen to it. It's very fascinating. Um, but it didn't stop there. He, he interviewed a couple other people, which I didn't pull a clip from everything. He interviewed Bryce Remsburg to get the referee perspective of it. And, uh, he interviewed some other clown I don't remember the name of. Doesn't matter. Um, but then we got into an interview with his uh, somebody I think he became fast friends with, uh, ironically. And uh, this one was interesting, too, with MJF, as uh, it, it appears that um, Marin was... Marin was smartened up that MJF is going to be in character and, and 
but he wasn't smartened up that he needs to put that over with everybody else. You know, he should have been like, and this next guy was a real fucking asshole. But, you know, the first thing that they led with was, oh, and then this next guy, you know, he told us right before we hit record that, okay, I'm going to be the biggest asshole you've ever met, okay? So we're going to be in character once we hit record. Uh, I really wish that Marin hadn't said that, but uh, here you go. Here's how that one played out in a little bit from MJF. Then we we went uh, backstage to the forum club uh, to have uh, where there was a kind of sitting area right. so that we could sit and do some of the interviews, and that was with uh, with with Max MJF who was yeah. the champion, and uh, we knew he, he was going to come in and do basically a gimmick interview in character. There, there, interview. It's funny though, he's talking normal. Yeah, and and uh, and I'm like, so this is going to stop right when we go on. He's like, oh yeah, I'm going to be the biggest douchebag Jew from Long Island that you ever met. Yeah, right. But I mean, when you do this, uh, when you do the the matches, I mean, you got bits you do, right? Bits. Well, I mean, what, what do you call them? They, they, I mean, I'll bite I, people from now and then, but if only but I mean, it's necessary. when you chart it out, you know what you're going to open with mostly. Like, oh. yeah, as a comic, you know, personally, like, yeah, I'm a shoot from the hip type of guy. Yeah. Oh, really? I say what I'm feeling. I feel what but I'm I mean, saying. But I mean, like with moves, like with actual wrestling. With the with the moves, when I'm in there, you know, yeah. I have to I have to study my opponent, study their movement, figure out what's what openings I have. Yeah. Is their arm hurt? Is their fucking yeah, finger yeah, hurt? Is their yeah. knee hurt? Yeah. And that's where you. Then you got to go for it. Do you ever use uh, you know weaponry? So you're not you're not going to tell anybody this, no, right? No, I'm not. All right, no. thank God. So sometimes, yeah. if I'm a little worried, yeah, I have a ring that I put in my trunks, yeah, and I put it on my pinky, yeah, and I punch the guy out with it when the ref's not looking. All right, and it works every time. Like, yeah, yeah, every time. So you you cheat. What? I mean, is that that's what are you part of it? About? I, I, it? I think I slightly bend the rules. All right, to my advantage. Yeah, right. Yeah, we have to. You have to. Yeah. I'm not trying to get hurt. How, really was, uh, how was your bar mitzvah? Was it good? Oh, Maximania? Are you yeah. kidding me? <laughs> Funny enough, I think they bonded, though. I think MJF, uh, I think Marin has a respect for MJF. I think maybe just because of the, the mutual Jewish heritage, perhaps, and they kind of bonded over that, as you heard. Um, but I think, you know, Marin. Learned a lot from MJF on the showbiz perspective, too, and how these guys work in and out of character even during interviews and that sort of thing. And, you know, Marin was kind of almost playing along a little bit too obviously, and I just wish... Sometimes I wish that, you know, MJF, instead of telling the guy, oh, I'm going to be the biggest asshole you've ever seen in this interview, it would be nice if MJF was just the biggest asshole he's ever seen. So Marin could say, yeah, I had a great time other than that MJF guy. What a dick he was. (laughs) You know what I mean? And that's how you're supposed to do it. But nobody nobody gave him the memo. And uh, so... You know, at least we never see or hear MJF break character. I think there is a video floating around out there following him around on the indies or whatever, but we don't count that. You know, nothing's been put out since he's been on our national TVs. But another great reason to go check out this interview. And it taught Mark Marin more about the business. Like I said, just, you know, what a heel is, especially, you know, he got to see it in action. And, and just, oh, just, it was beautiful. You know, the way that wrestlers are able to work their character into real life, it's, it's fantastic. Um, but we were not done yet. There was yet another, a fourth interview, if you will. This one was with Eddie Kingston. 
And this one came off of, uh, there was several months ago, Eddie Kingston had a really big article published about him talking about like his hard times coming up. And this is something that got on the radar of, <clears throat> I think Mark Marin had even said he read that uh, back in the day, but certainly his producer was a big fan of, of Eddie Kingston, so that was one they wanted to wrangle in. And this was a fascinating interview as well where we really got to dive in to uh, Eddie Kingston coming up you know, and what kind of rough times that he had and uh, especially something that he does now when he goes back out on the indies that uh, it just fucking will melt your heart. Check out this clip. And how did you get this gig? I mean, how did you? I, mean, I talked a lot of shit. I had a, an independent show finally. Yeah. After uh, out, COVID. Out in New York. Yeah. yeah. Out after COVID. And uh, I just grabbed the microphone one day and I said, hey, uh, Cody Rhodes had a thing going here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, open challenge. Yeah. So I said, hey, Cody, all these guys that you're fighting are kids. I'm yeah. a grown man. Yeah. All this stuff. And then it caught wind on Twitter. Oh, really? Yeah. And I was like, okay. And then they <laughs> called me in and... Uh, they were like, oh, we want to bring you in the Russell Cody. And the first question I asked was, how much? How much are we getting? Yeah. Because the way I didn't look at it like I was getting a contract. Right. I didn't look at it as a tryout. I oh, you just saw it like a one-nighter? Yeah. I yeah. looked at it like, okay, man, I can pay my mortgage next month, so yeah. I'm good to go. But they signed you. Yeah. Yeah, I got lucky. I had a good dance partner yeah. with Cody, and we beat each other up. And two weeks later, they were like, hey, you... You want a contract? They go, yeah. How much? <laughs> <laughs> and how much? How many matches you do in a week? Oh, for yeah, AEW, yeah. it's just it's once a week on but a you Wednesday. Don't go out at, uh, oh no, I do. I like doing the independence still. Yeah. Because without the independence, I would have went nuts years right. ago. So you just like it to do the shows? Yeah, yeah. And a lot of times, uh, uh well, they already announced it a couple of times. I hate it when they do this. I usually yeah. will go there and do a show, but I'll tell them take half my money and give it to a charity. Yeah. That's local. Right. And, like, I tell them not to announce it, just do it. Yeah. And they announced it anyway. So, yeah, that's what I like to do. Oh, yeah. And they're like, really? I'm like, look, you guys kept me fed for years. Right. And yeah. I had nothing, so let me help you back out. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. I don't like being nice, but it happens once in a while. Well, I yeah, so if you needed any more proof that Eddie was, like, a real street guy and a real good fucking human being... Uh, look no further than that clip right there. That's fantastic. Half of his fucking indie fee goes to benefit some local charity. You know, that's su such a good dude. And that's something, like he says, that he doesn't really talk about much. You know, it comes out. People people will say it. I actually hadn't heard it, so he probably could have kept his mouth shut on that one. Um, but he had said in the interview that, you know, that somebody else, whoever, one of the indie promoters basically went on social media and talked about that Eddie did that. So apparently that was a public thing. But uh, what a fucking guy, right? What a, what a dude. And, uh, you know, giving back, especially when, you know, I'm sure Eddie's not a millionaire or anything, you know, he's not set for life necessarily. He's only had that big contract for a couple of years. So, um, but he still finds it in himself to give back. So that's fantastic. And then, uh, you know, just to kind of wrap this segment up here with all these clips, I just thought this was such a fascinating piece of work, piece of journalism, to be honest. This was this was podcast journalism at, his, at its finest. This was a guy, Mark Marin, who 
knew about wrestling, talked to wrestlers, worked on a wrestling show, but never really thought much more of it than that fake wrestling stuff. And uh, really got a deep dive education in on it from going to a show, seeing it live, talking to the wrestlers, talking to the promoter, talking to good guys, talking to bad guys, getting an explanation on the psychology of why we do what we do and then seeing it in action and and just man and, and you know another thing he was so surprised with in the podcast is he he looked at these guys like athletes like sports guys were like a he, he pictured always pictured like a mma locker room or a football locker room where guys are getting psyched up and banging on lockers and just being meatheads and he's like no this was more like going backstage at theater people are getting into character they're getting dressed they're practicing they're rehearsing they're going over their stuff last minute and you know he got he learned so much from just watching the guys in the ring before the show you know he talked about how he caught a glimpse of the young bugs practicing their fucking ladder match they're going over their ladder spots in the ring before before the show all of this it was just it's just a fascinating look at professional wrestling and mark Marin, like i said his podcast is not small potatoes for him to give pro wrestling that spotlight and expose those kind of details to that many listeners potential you know lapsed fans new fans all of that in between uh it's just really a remarkable piece of podcast work so if you are a wrestling fan seek that out that's wtf with mark Marin, and uh it's just i don't remember what it's titled but uh just fucking a deep dive into aew you'll absolutely love it Well, AEW president and two-time Booker of the Year, Mr. Tony Khan, did a written interview in the sports column for a website by the name of Uprox, U-P-R-O-X-X, never heard of it, but they got an exclusive interview with Tony Khan this week, talking all things Tony Khan, of course, AEW getting into the nitty gritty of AEW but it was in this particular section of the article that caught a lot of attention this week as uh, Tony Khan was talking about the upcoming media rights deals that he has with Discovery Time Warner will they remain on TBS or TNT are they going to get a bigger deal or are they going to get a lesser deal you know everybody's got something to say about this because the ratings and such let's go ahead and take a look at this interview here now we do not have an audio version of this so you know no video or nothing to play for you so we'll just kind of take a look at the website here this is up rocks here and it was down in this section over here we got As he reflects on the last four years and looks towards the future, Khan is bullish on AEW's future. As reported by Fightful, the organization's television's rights deal is set to expire towards the end of 2023. But Khan was careful to characterize AEW's future deal as a media rights deal, instead pointing solely to a new television deal. I expect a big increase in the rights for AEW programs, and we're on a good pace to make a very lucrative deal for the AEW media rights going forward, Tony Khan said. Uh, Then he was asked if he was going to launch a streaming site. 
He said we've done uh, 174 episodes of Dynamite, 80 of Rampage, and blah, 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 pay-per-views. So we've done hundreds and hundreds of hours of AEW content in our library content. I also purchased Ring of Honor last year, which is a great promotion, blah, blah, blah. So overall, AEW has access to many great wrestling events, including some events that are widely considered to be some of the best wrestling events of all time which is true. Uh, there's a lot of interest in this library as well as the new weekly content we continue to produce each week. And I don't think there's a lot of demand for, and I do think there's a lot of demand for the library and it makes a lot of sense for us to try to make that AEW library available to fans all over the world on demand. So there you have it. This mixed with, look, AEW continues to make some big, big moves. They got their deal with ESPN. They just announced that's Disney Company, by the way. They got a deal with ESPN, an exclusive streaming deal with ESPN to stream over in Australia and New Zealand and and whatever other. There's another country over there, I think, of some kind, another island nation, perhaps. Um, but they got that exclusive deal over there. I believe they are also got that, uh, deal with DAZN to be on streaming in what, like some European countries and that sort of thing. Look, uh, they're making big moves, dude. And this whole media rights thing, I know people love to troll and people think they, they had get a little bit of information and they, they let it run crazy, right? People think that ratings, they're all obsessed with the ratings. Oh, AEW can barely get over a million. They're not going to get a good rate, uh, media rights deal. Or, ooh, somebody new bought Discovery and there's new management and they're firing tons of people. And AEW is going to be on the chopping block and they better be careful and... You know, I've heard it all. I've seen it all. And I've been saying this for this entire time. And I'll say it again here because it's still going around on the Internet and it still needs to be addressed. And I guess we, uh, you know, won't know for sure until the media rights deal happens. But I'm going to continue to iterate that AEW is going to get a fantastic media rights deal. They're going to get a raise. They're going to get more money than they're making right now. Why? Because the they're still producing fantastic numbers for one. Whether or not they can stay over a million, whether or not Rampage is dying a slow death over on Fridays, none of that matters because they're still ranking high in their demographics, in their time slots, on their days. Dynamite's one of the biggest shows on TV on Wednesday night, if not the biggest, consistently in the key demographics especially. Um, And it's on every single week, even through the pandemic, when nothing was live. Nobody was doing anything live. Dynamite was live. Dynamite was doing live presentations. Um, They have an insane fandom. They found that out over the whole Jay Briscoe censorship thing, and they got schooled with a bunch of fucking outraged wrestling fans and that sort of thing. And they, they quickly changed their tune on that. But, uh, look, I, I read, I believe it was last week, maybe the week before I read an interview that was done with the head of Kathleen Finch. I believe her name was, she is the head of the, uh, creative over at, at, she's, she's in charge of all the programming that's on TBS and TNT. Let's put it that way. 
And uh, she's a big fan of AEW. She says she didn't know much about wrestling, but she dived into it to learn everything she could about it. Like the fan base and what they like to watch and, and this and that. And she realizes that they are an insane fan base that they want. That's the kind of shit that they want. That was a clear directive when the new ownership took over. We want to feed. We want to build fandoms. We want to uh, build around fandoms. That's what, and and they also want to build off non-scripted television because it's cheaper to produce. Look, AEW is still as much as they're getting million. They have you know a multi-million dollar media rights deal right now, and they will get an even bigger one. Uh, is is that they're they're non-scripted entertainment still they're still very cheap to produce compared to like a tv show they couldn't just go out and produce like a walking dead show that would cost them so much more money than an aew show that an aew that's drawing near the top or the top of the demographic of the entire night on all of tv and, and it's still relatively cheap compared to a lot of other different types of entertainment. Sure, they could run reruns over that, but even that can get comparatively as expensive. You know, you think those Big Bang Theory episodes aren't expensive to rerun? Friends still gets fucking... Friends gets, you know, paid millions and millions for the reruns still to this day. So uh, it's a big deal. It's a big deal to have live entertainment to have it on the cheap, to have the insane fan bases. And Kathleen Finch said in that interview that their idea, and that's why they added Power Slap. Power Slap, they said, is an experiment, but they added it because they want to find what else they can put around AEW that will keep some of those wrestling fans around. They don't. It's not, hey, AEW doesn't fit with what we're doing, so let's get rid of AEW. It's, hey, we really love having AEW here, so let's see what else we can find that might fit with AEW and put that on TV too. It's creating fucking jobs. It's creating shows. It's a genre that they want to invest in. And, and live television is a dying art. Sports and sports is it. That's it. And in AEW falls into that category too. It's a non-scripted television. It's also sports, and that demands a premium because it's the only thing that you have to tune in live for. If it's a TV show, you can catch the replay. You can just wrestling still creates that element. Sports still create that element of you have to see it happen live because people are tweeting it as it go. You know, there's an ongoing social media aspect to it as it's happening. You know, people don't want to be left in the dark. They don't want to miss out. FOMO, right? Um, they've been consistent. They're not, you know, their rating, despite whether it can go above a million or not, has been consistent. Uh, there is zero reason for TNT, TBS to want to get rid of AEW, and they won't. And anybody out there that thinks that they will or could or should or, oh, you know, they don't like the violence on TV, shut the fuck up. They're doing just fine. Swearing on the note. Moxley swear it. No, no. Try again. AEW is in a very good position, and Tony Khan has all the reason in the world to be bullish on a new media deal. And on top of that, now, uh, my only concern with this next part here is Ring of Honor was not able to land a TV deal. But that is different than a streaming deal. 
Um, so if they are able to put together a streaming package, look, they have that entire back catalog of AEW. Now they also have the entire back catalog of Ring of Honor. And should they land a streaming deal, mark my words, Tony Khan will go to will seek to go out and, and acquire the, the rights to other uh, other wrestling promotions. You know, look at Excalibur as a, as a founding member of PWG. He's still heavily. I don't know if he's still an owner or co-owner of it now. Uh, there's a, what another Dragon Mask. Is that the other guy? Um, or there, there might be multiple. I think Joey Ryan was involved at some point. I don't know if he still is. Regardless, you don't think Tony Khan can acquire the rights to PWG? Before you say, ah, PWG, who cares? Ah. Everybody that's on TV right now came from Ring of Honor or PWG or something. If they weren't created in the PC Performance Center through NXT, mark my words, they came through Ring of Honor or PWG at this point. Um, it, it's, you know, w, I, I've talked about this before, too. WWE owns a lot of content library, but it's starting to age out. It's starting to... It, Nobody cares about AWA anymore. People are, you know, WCW is still, I guess, you know, appealing to older fans, but even newer fans, like nobody that's on TV anymore came from WCW. People like to see, you know, early, ma oh, Seth Rollins. Let's watch early Tyler Black matches in Ring of Honor. Um, Brian Danielson, you know, uh, all of these, if he can start to acquire like a PWG, a CZW, if that ever comes up, all of these newer and, and they're not so new now, but everybody that's on TV now came through these territories as indies if they were on the independents. So if he can start to tap into that, he's going to create a serious rival streaming site uh, for in for pro wrestling in general. And if they can just slap that right on HBO Max, the already owned streaming service by uh, Warner Brothers Discovery. And look, they've already talked about, too, HBO Max is not going to stay HBO Max because Discovery has their own streaming service, too. And eventually the idea is just to move all of their programming onto one new rebranded streaming service. And wouldn't it be fucking great? Hunky Dory. They already have AEW on TB, TNT and TBS. Wouldn't it be, I mean, all they got to do is add a tab, AEW. Peacock does it just fine. Look at their numbers with WWE. You know, there's already proof of concept that streaming services, that wrestling works on streaming services, and that it earns a premium fee. There's a billion-dollar deal with NBC Universal to have the WWE Network for five years, you know? So you don't think that that's a huge proof of concept. You know, Tony Khan said that he pitched AEW to TBS essentially to Warner Brothers Discovery as Pepsi to WWE's Coke. We want to be a competing brand. You know, we're not going to be the best, but we're going to be the second best. And we're going to be the first company that's been around since WCW that can afford to compete for talent, for top talent, and can afford to compete in production value and all of those things. Like WWE cannot. WWE was always able to stay head and shoulders above like an impact, for example, or a ring of honor simply because it had the budget that nobody else could touch. Even a new Japan pro wrestling, you know, they struggled to try to afford like a, a it was a big move for what they paid for Sasha Banks. 
is more than they paid for Jericho. You know, they're they're not in the big talent game. That's that's almost like a make or break deal for them. You know, that was a hard one for them to pull together. Tony Khan could pull out a contract for Mercedes uh, out of out of his ass, you know, Mercedes money. She can get a fat contract from Tony Khan, no questions asked. So he's got the money to compete, and that's that's where. In in look, that's not just going to be in top talent either. As I was just saying with the other media, let's say a PWG's media uh, content rights ever come up, they're going up for sale. Tony Khan's going to outbid WWE for that. Because Nick Khan's not even going to see the value in that. He's not even going to want to pay it. That's why Tony Khan was able to get Ring of Honor. You don't think WWE made an offer to buy that content? But they lowballed it because they figured, A, nobody else is going to want to buy it. So we're basically just going to get it handed to us. Like when WCW came available, who the fuck else was actually going to be able to do anything with it? Bischoff was trying to put together a deal, but Vince already had all the infrastructure. He already had the TV. TV wasn't coming with it. It was just the library. And Vince had the ability to monetize that library. Um, Maybe they learn their lesson from Ring of Honor and they'll make stronger plays for new content that comes up. But look, at some point, these PWGs, these CZWs, uh, even a GCW perhaps at some point will come up. And yes, these are all lower level indie promotions. But the the appeal of these is not just the more wrestling content, but this was also the start of some of your favorite wrestlers ever. This was the home. If they didn't come up through the PC, they came up through some of these promotions. And if Tony has those rights, he's going to have the modern fans' eyeballs and their attention. And he's going to be able to just get more money for that streaming service. So I do expect lots of big things for Tony Khan and AEW going forward. They certainly hit a speed bump with the CM Punk thing. And that They're still climbing back from now. I think it did significantly slow them down and lower their uh, public opinion. But they're climbing back from that, and, the, and they have the money and the production value and the content to be in the game. And I think uh, I think Warner Brothers Discovery will be all in on on AEW, and they would be fools to not. And I will eat the hat off of my head with a with a bottle of mustard if AEW either gets dropped from Discovery Time Warner or they get a lower meteorites deal because it's just not going to happen. You're going to get a big fat raise and be welcomed with big open arms. <laughs> Well, we've always heard about this supposed beef between the Young Bucks and FTR. This going all the way back to before FTR was even in AEW when they were the revival over in WWE. The Young Bucks, the elite, were taking shots at FTR over Twitter. That's where FTR came from, as a matter of fact. It was fuck the revival. That's what the whole thing was. And then... When FTR went to AEW, they took it back and claimed it as their own. But it's been going on since then, all the way since back then. Then they came to AEW. They had their first match, which unfortunately took place during the pandemic. So it was didn't have as big of a crowd as we would have probably liked to see for that. They did have their second match as well and probably should have had a third, but they didn't. And uh, that could be because of some supposed beef for drama between the two going on backstage. And uh, Dax, that's what this podcast was about, this episode of FTR. 
Dax talked uh, uh, in depth about kind of coming to AEW to work with uh, the the Young Bucks and what that looked like coming in. It was very much, uh, um, you know, the beef, the Twitter feud just kind of started just to kind of stir stuff up with the fans. And they hadn't really talked, but when they came to AEW, they got along just fine. They came up with this idea to build to this match and... They had this great match, and then things started to fall apart. And uh, how was Tony Khan involved with all that as well? Take a look at this clip. Here's the question, though. All that shit you said, all that shit you said about you had to do all this stuff to be taken seriously, have you ever considered the fact that the Young Bucks had the exact same fucking journey? Oh. Like in a lot of ways, like think about all the shit they get. Think mm -hmm. about all the stuff they're told. Too small. They can't. They're they're these spot monkeys, and they don't belong here. They're not prime time. They you they are dealing with the same thing you're dealing with in in the fact that they're trying to prove themselves, and then they see these two WWE guys come in, and maybe they think these fuckers think they're better than us, but we chose to be here, and they've got the same chip on their shoulder that you have on yours. All right, Matt, I like it better when you agree with me. Um, uh, no, I, I guess I'd never have really, I mean, I know the struggles and, you know, it's well documented the struggles they've had. I, I, I know them. But at the time, again, I wasn't mentally mature enough to think about that. I was thinking about the moment, you know, I was thinking about it in the moment. And I, oh, you know, oh, I get that. I'm talking purely in retrospect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But, but again, at this moment, we were on good terms. There was nothing that had happened, you know, in this moment. Uh, we were, we were, we were fine with each other and we agreed on, on a lot of things and we were all working together to make this the, the biggest possible tag match it could, could ever, that wrestling world had ever seen. That was our idea. Um, so again, like I said, it wasn't an issue with them. It wasn't an issue with the bucks. It was my issue with Tony at the time. Uh, and it was, me not realizing that there is more to the wrestling world than Dax Harwood. And I should have. And I was wrong for that. Things weren't going to go the way that we were we had expected them to go. And maybe the way we had, were told. I looked back on the angle and I started thinking, okay, man, I think... I don't know if this is purposely done. I don't, I, maybe it wasn't. You know, it probably wasn't. But I looked back and I was like, man the young bucks and FTR was a backdrop leading up was kind of a backdrop to hangman page right. and young bucks. Right. And then, you know, after the match, um, where, you know, hopefully we could have got a little bit of focus when we were crawling up the stage, you know, and the, the commentators could have, could have said, you know, they, 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 they uh, they left their wheelhouse, you know, where they left their comfort zone and they tried to play into the young bucks field and it didn't work. And now the young bucks have finally proven that they're the tag, the best tag team in the world. What will FTR feel? How will they think? Uh, we got again, Omega and page coming out and we were an afterthought and, you know, thinking about it in 2023. Now, if that's what the company wanted, that's okay. Thinking about it in, in, in 2020 and 2021, you know, the beginning of 2021, right. I was bitter about it and I was upset about it because I felt that we were brought in, given a short title reign, um, 
and we were just kind of forgotten about. We were going to be forgotten about. Where is Dax Harwood and the Young Bucks now? Mm. As far as where we are with the Young Bucks, uh, I don't think I want to delve into that right now um, because uh, there's a lot of a lot of things that need to be navigated, you know, and I don't want to delve into that now. But also, I think that it is very rare in professional wrestling and nowadays where people can get lost in a story and people can get lost in heat and what's real and what's not real. If I tell you where we are right now, you're never going to get lost again. You know, this is a a nuanced take here because there's multiple factors to consider. But offhand, I'm starting to kind of think that between the Road Dog Dax Harwood beef that we covered last week and just kind of seeing the way that Dax talks about wrestling and everything, I'm starting to think that maybe FTR takes themselves too seriously. You know, we talked about this last week with the beef with uh, Road Dog, and that was kind of Road Dog's take on this guy was he just takes shit way too seriously, have a little fun with it. And uh, I think that's kind of the culprit in this beef with the Young Bucks. Now, uh, I say that it's nuanced because I don't... I think Young Bucks, the elite in general, have some blame here as well. I think the Young Bucks like to play good Christian Christian AF boys that are just wholesome and good and friends with everybody and we're all friends wrestling and stuff. But I think they play games. And I don't think Cornette is just bullshitting the people on his podcast when he talks about stuff that he knows happens behind the scenes. And look, Dax played this very... Uh, very close to the chest, right? He didn't talk about where he thinks they are now. He disguised it as kayfabe, like, "Ah, I think it'll destroy some of the magic if we do have a third match. If you guys know if we're all friends now or if we really hate each other, I think it's good to keep the mystique alive. Um, With that said, I think that's also an easy way for Dax to say, I kind of want to, even earlier on in the show, which didn't make it into the clip, but earlier in the show he had said that he's not going to talk about anything today because he doesn't want to get himself into trouble. So he's tiptoeing that line. He doesn't want to kind of show his hand as far as how he truly feels about the Young Bucks. Or Tony Khan, for that example. It seems to be his beef is as much with Tony Khan as with the Young Bucks. And this could be, you know, maybe why FTR was kind of cooled off on TV is because Tony Khan maybe looked at that, and, and rightfully so. Dax even said, look, man, if you come into my house when I'm remodeling and you're like, you know what, this living room looks like shit, I would remodel it this way. Well, motherfucker, it's my house, and I'm the one paying for it, so I'm going to do it how I want to do it. So Dax, you know, uh, kind of even understands why Tony would be like, bro, you're a little bit too pushy and bitchy for me. And uh, what what made me kind of think about this aspect of it, too, and I know I'm kind of all over the place on this, but just, just ride, ride with me here. 
Um, there was another podcast this week uh, between uh, that Dutch Mantel interviewed uh, Jake Hager. And they're old buddies, of course, we the people. And Dutch asked Hager about what it's like working backstage with AEW. And, and Hager said that, you know, Tony, Tony is pretty chill. He treats everybody cool and that he wants cool people or people that he wants a, a good working environment. You know, he wants a team is essentially what Hager was saying. You know, he wants to work with people that are cool to work with he doesn't want the egomaniacs and the drama queens and he's not trying to run that kind of company and he would rather maybe downplay some stars or forego now this isn't Hager's words this is me just kind of reading into it it would appear that if Dax approached him with an aggressive hey motherfucker this is how we should be presented and you suck that might be true I consider FTR the greatest tag team on planet earth um, you know, even when Jay was around, you know, I'd put him above the Briscoes, I'd put him above the Usos. FTR is fantastic. And, uh, you know, they did the best work of their life this past year. So rightfully so in their ego, but as a promoter, I could even see if I was the boss, I'm like, you, who the fuck do you think you are? Like, I, I love and I respect your work and everything, but... Dude, if you're gonna talk to me like that, I'm just gonna I'm gonna cool you off for a little bit, and then we'll we'll, we'll talk about it then. You know what I mean? And I think maybe FTR just kind of became a little bit too much drama to work with, uh, in the Young Bucks' opinion, you know. But I do think on the flip side, there was probably some politics to be played there too, where maybe the Young Bucks didn't want to do the favor to FTR a third time or who knows hopefully all of this comes out over time hopefully even the young bucks can speak on this at some point but because this is the kind of shit that gets my dick hard about wrestling right I'm endlessly fascinated by behind the scenes shit it's just it's my bread and butter it's more it's funner for me to watch to follow the behind the scenes shit a lot of times than it is what's going on in the ring you know what I mean so uh the stories are just as good backstage and this this FTR Young Bucks drama beef thing seems to be a pretty interesting story and you know we may never know or we might find out as soon as after april when the uh, if uh the uh ftr leaves aew i still don't think they will but because dax also kind of made it clear that he's starting to see things more clearly and he's kind of starting to not take things so seriously or at least recognize like hey this is tony's company he's gonna use us how he wants to use us the wrestling world does not revolve around ftr and i think you know i think that was a big part of whatever's going on here is the ego of ftr and look they need the ego you have to have a certain level of ego to be a wrestler and you have to have an even bigger ego to be the best or one of the best and to navigate the politics of pro wrestling the way that the ftr came from an environment like wwe where it was so oppressive where they did have to fight for everything they bring a little bit of that you know as soon as they start seeing signs of tony maybe you know holding them down a little bit or not letting them not letting their freak flag fly in the tag team division maybe they you know that did stigmatize them a little bit of that they talked about it on the show uh the wwe psd PSD, you know, PSTD or whatever. Uh, 
post PTSD. That's what it is. WWE PTSD. I'm sorry. My bad. My bad. I fucking apologize. Leave me alone. <laughs> but God, I mean, there's certainly something here. Um, but you know what? If Dax is, is, you know, they made it their goal to be just kind of chill and just enjoy whatever they get to work with. Maybe they've kind of come around and everybody's on a good in a good spot right now and they're just waiting for the next right time to work again. Maybe, perhaps, who knows. Um, but if not, maybe there is some serious beef there that eventually we'll get to explore and find out more about. We definitely got some good insight into it during this podcast with FTR, uh, Dax on FTR here, but... Uh, It didn't tell the full story, and it definitely leaves a thirst for more. Well, it was just a couple weeks ago where we had that very rare, very good interview that Bray Wyatt did with Ryan Satin over at WWE on Fox, where we were coming hot off the heels of Raw 30, and there was that moment where The Undertaker shared the ring with Bray Wyatt, And he leaned in to kiss him, but instead of giving him a big wet tongue kiss, he whispered something in his ear. And everybody was like, wonder what he said. And there were even memes, all these memes about it. Hilarious memes. Lots of good stuff. Ryan asked Bray Wyatt, what did The Undertaker say? What was this thing? The internet's dying to know. And this is what Bray Wyatt said. But what did The Undertaker whisper to you? Okay, so I think everybody kind of can see it for what it was, right? And when, when something like that happens, like that's something that no one can take away from me. That moment belongs to me. No one else in the world in the history of time ever gets to have that moment, no one but me, right? So what he said was something that only I would have understood and something that, that only I would be able to appreciate for when and where it happened. And it was, it was something I never thought would come, but but what he said exactly is between me, him, God, the devil, and it, I could never, I'll never, never tell a soul. I'll go to my grave with it. I will not tell a soul, Bray Wyatt said. This was personal. This was between me and him. We shared a moment in the ring. This was us. This was just a moment that no one else could ever experience, and I will never tell a soul what the undertaker told me until the undertaker comes out two weeks later and does an interview with sportsnet and says exactly what he told bray wyatt or did he check out this clip Uh, again i'm always interested in what bray wyatt's doing um um can I and jump then, in on Bray for a second? I don't mean to interrupt yeah. the Undertaker. No, 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 no. Uh, I, I was kind of waiting, waiting on that. <laughs> but, but when you brought up Bray, I, I know you shared the moment. Uh, you tweeted about it. He tweeted about it. As as a dude, like I'm an old school dude, uh, I thought that was a very cool, I, I don't know, like a, a passing of the torch almost. Like any way you share what you whispered to him after that match, like what – I, I know it was special for both of you guys, and a lot of fans are interested in, in what that was. Yeah, no, they're, they're very interested, and I knew that they would be uh, when I did it. Uh, but, yeah, no, that's that's the moment that that, uh, that Bray and I shared. 
you know, there's obviously a, a huge amount of comparisons between his character and mine. Right. Um, and I think, uh, you know, he's his, he's his own guy. He's his own character. I, I don't think it's fair to him to compare what he does to what I did. Um, and, and in the big scheme of things, obviously it's in the same, you know, it's kind of in that same supernatural, um, I don't know what genre, right? <laughs> but you know, it's a, it's a, it's 2023 and he's doing his own thing, but I, you know, I can appreciate, I can see what he's trying to do. And, um, and, you know, I just let him know too, that, you know, my, my, my phone's always on. And if he needs to talk to me about things or run things by me, that's cool. Uh, I would be more than glad to share my experiences um, you know, with, with him and, and hopefully shine some light on maybe questions that he has moving forward. Um, so yeah, it, it was a cool moment and, uh, it did exactly what I thought it would do. That's awesome. So the news, everybody's kind of reporting that this is what the undertaker told Bray Wyatt and perhaps, Perhaps that would that's exactly what it was, you know. Undertaker said, hey, "You know, look, this is, you know." I and then I told him, but the way that he said that, go back and listen to that. He's like, you know, I told him some things or whatever, and then he, and then look, I also, you know, whatever. So to me, the way that he phrased it, it doesn't sound like that's exactly what he told Bray in the ring. Sounds like maybe something that he told him backstage, you know, because. What he told him in the ring didn't take that long. It was just something that was a little quicker. It was seemed a little bit more private. I think The Undertaker danced around it here. I think The Undertaker kind of just just gave gave a, a, a half-assed answer to this and then went on to say some of the other advice that he gave Bray. But I could be wrong. I could be interpreting this wrong, too. And if that's the case, this is what The Undertaker told Bray, but it doesn't seem that impactful, right? You know, I can't imagine Undertaker would pull him closely in the ring and say, look, my phone is always open to you. Anytime you got any questions, I'm here to answer. You know what I mean? Like, Bray looked genuinely like... Like, wow, this was, you know, and even in his interview, he was like, I, this is a moment I got to share and I will never tell a soul. I don't think, you know, if it was just like, yeah, he just told me that he's always here to listen, you know, if I want to talk to him or whatever, like I, that's, I just, I think there's more to it than this. That's at least, you know, I have a tendency to look into things too deep too, but you know, he just, ah. You know, unless Bray was that, just that moved by, hey, man, my phone's on for you. And it could have been a version of that that was shorter. Who knows? Nobody will know but those two. But this seems to be the predominant thought that The Undertaker, this is what The Undertaker told Bray that day. Um, but who knows? I'm a little bit more skeptical about that. But I like, you know, Undertaker kind of drew this comparison in this interview that, you know, Bray, he acknowledges that Bray is... Not a copy of The Undertaker by any means, but he is in a way a continuation of that in the sense that they're both the supernatural characters. Bray is still certainly doing the supernatural. Remember I talked about a couple weeks ago during that interview, it's it's uh, it's dollar store Kane and Undertaker, him and Uncle Howdy with Bo Dallas, you know what I mean? It's, uh, Mom, can we have Kane and Undertaker? No, we have Kane and Undertaker at home. 
That's what this is to me, <laughs> at least on the surface. But the story hasn't played out yet. But certainly there is that, you know, connection between Taker and Bray on the supernatural front. And Bray is that guy that's going to carry that super supernatural aspect of pro wrestling that supernatural character forward into the future and you know undertaker is a very valuable source for that i would be picking his brain very often if i was bray wyatt you know at least a couple times a year every couple of months every three months or so i'd sit down and give old mark a call and just kind of talk to him about where my head's at with shit or what the storylines are coming up and how he would approach it and, and look that's invaluable so even if whether that was or was not what the undertaker told bray in that in that in-ring uh confrontation that they had that little passing of the torch moment that they seemed to share uh he certainly is passing the torch to bray wyatt and Bray Wyatt's the guy that's going to bring that supernatural element. And I love supernatural in wrestling. I don't mind it. But I'm a supernatural guy, too. Like, I, I like get into ghost stories and I like horror movies. And so that shit works for me. I'm fine with all of that. You know, if that's not your cup of tea, I can really see why you think this kind of stuff's stupid. But uh, hey, man, it works for me. I'm fine with it, I suppose. Uh, but you know, even though this uncle howdy thing's not really doing much for me, we'll see where it goes. Let it play out. Let it play out. Uh, my guess is it's Bray Wyatt versus Bo Dallas at WrestleMania. That would be my guess. Uncle howdy will be revealed to be Bo. Maybe, maybe he'll just stay uncle howdy like Kane, you know, and reveal Kane to be Dr. Isaac Yankum DDS. So we'll see where it goes, but I like it. And I like that the Undertaker is passing the torch to Bray and that he acknowledges that Bray is the successor to the supernatural character after he has retired. Mandy Rose does what now? You say she does what? No. For real? Mandy Rose was on the Sessions podcast with Renee Paquette this week, and it was just us girls, you know, having a friendly little chat about the OnlyFans gimmick that Mandy Rose is on. Fan time, is that what it is? Fan time. It's the same thing. There's people that say, it's, oh, it's not OnlyFans. It's the same thing. It's the same exact thing. It's just, uh, as Mandy put it in this interview, it's not doesn't have the same stigma. If you say, oh, I'm an OnlyFans girl, people are like, oh, that's dirty, you know. When you say, I'm a fan time girl, oh, well, she just does it. It's just for thing for fans. It's the same exact thing. And uh, one of the things that's very prominent amongst these cam girls or these uh, OnlyFans chicks is uh, a lot of them will open up their inbox to dick pics. Um, I would be remiss to not ask you about, because I remember seeing something about it, the rating of penises. Is this a thing? <laughs> Tell me about this, because I'm dying to know what kind of shit ends up in your DMs, oh what kind of conversations you're having with people. Like, I need to know this it's fucking exceptional oh you caught me for a loop with that one <laughs> i was not expecting that um it is a th it is a thing i'll say that it's definitely a thing um yeah it's um it's, the only uh, time it's, it's crazy be solicited right because normally <laughs> you don't want a pig but here i mean that yeah, yeah let's and, make a game and we of all it. we 
we all get them in in the DMs. So you know what? <laughs> Might as well make the most of it. <laughs> Whatever she's charging, you tack that along with a picture of your cockles and send it to her DMs. You just slide in her DMs with a D pick and um <laughs> I'm not sure what's uh, appropriate for YouTube, what they're going to boot me off for and what they're not. So I'm just going to gonna dance around this one a little bit. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you, you slide into the DMs and you slip her a pic of your guy and she's going to give your guy a rating. And this is a thing that these girls do. A lot of these girls will do. And this is apparently something she's picked up. So I can only imagine, as Renee said, some of the things that she uh, has seen and uh, uh, the kind of weirdo stuff that comes into her into her inbox. But fuck, if you're getting paid for it, right? Like, I don't know. Some chicks don't mind. Other chicks get highly offended. Oh, I don't want to see that's sexual assault, brother. And I would say an unsolicited dick pic is a form of sexual assault, right? You can't flash somebody. You can't walk up to a chick and just say, hey, baby, look at this. What do you think? So you shouldn't be able to do that in her inbox either. You know, she shouldn't have to. Oh, what's this message from Steve Andrews over in Anchorage, Philadelphia? And oh, shit. Ugh. Ugh. Get a razor, bro. Um, but yeah, I'm sure, you know, whatever. You know, look, I'm not a kink shamer, so none of this bothers me at all. Let your freak flag motherfucking fly. I don't care, right? So if she gets paid, you know, if she likes looking at people, I'm sure she doesn't like it, but if she does not mind looking at your dick and giving it a fucking one through ten or thumbs up thumbs down or an a minus or i don't know how the rating scale works but do it man subscribe to her shit send her a picture of your piece and uh you know look i would say if mandy rose gives you a high ranking that's something that's a badge of honor right that's something you can be proud of look i some chicks you know over your house or some dude or whatever whatever your preference is and you know they're going to town and it's they're not impressed you could be like bro i don't know what you're talking about because mandy rose fucking rated that shit like a nine so you just must be delusional right you imagine the sad bastard that gets like a two from mandy rose though like you're showing her and she's just like she sends you like a cringe emoji to go along with it. Or like some fucking she sends you like the like the a sound sample from the prices, right? Like you just fucking fail. Um, hey man, whatever makes you money, I don't give a shit. If I was a hot chick, I don't you know, actually I don't know. I don't know if I would do that because you'd probably ugh, it could be a bit much, I think. But um Hey, maybe she gets, she I mean, shit, she's a millionaire, so what the fuck do I know, right? That's part of that. That's her income coming in. I mean, people are probably paying good money, I would imagine. You know, I'm sure that's something you don't charge 10 bucks for, right? That's something, it's got to be at least a 50 spot, right? If I was a chick, I, I at least 50 bucks to look at a picture of your cock. I don't care, especially if I'm a celebrity chick, right? Because I, I might have to look at your weird cock, right? I, I, if you got a really nice one, it could be it could be pleasurable. 
You know, I could be very welcome to see that picture. If you get some fucking troll dick in your inbox, that's going to be... It's going to be an uncomfortable situation. So it's good that people will pay for that. And then it all kinds of evens out, right? I don't even know what I'm talking about here anymore. But apparently it's a thing. And apparently Mandy Rose will do that for you. So uh, go get that. You know what I should have did is I should have went the extra yard for this show. And I should have actually gotten... Went and got a membership, and I don't know how long the waiting process is. Maybe that'll be a good follow-up. Go join her OnlyFans and get get my piece rated, and then put put my piece rating up here for all of you to see on the podcast. Uh, don't, don't, don't click the unsubscribe button, please. Don't, don't do it. I'll do better next time, I promise. Let me know your thoughts down in the comments down below. Not not that down below, but the comments. Another major health scare for the king of Memphis, Jerry the King Lawler, this time suffering a stroke earlier this week, I believe on Monday. I believe this is the second stroke that Jerry the King Lawler has suffered in his lifetime. He is in his 70s now. I don't have the exact age. It'll be in this clip, I believe, coming up here. Um, Plus his heart attack. His heart attack on national TV. The man died on national TV. This guy seems to kick out of everything. You know, he's got nine lives. Uh, You can't keep Jerry Lawler down and apparently the stroke, same situation. Jerry Lawler back up and running. Not at 100%, but things are looking good. Check out this clip from Brian Alvarez over at Figure Four Online with the Wrestling Observer Radio. And giving an update on Jerry the King Lawler. Jerry the King Lawler will make a full recovery. Following a massive stroke he suffered on Monday. This update from Lawler's Twitter account. 73-year-old still recovering in a Fort Myers, Florida hospital. His speech still limited. Hope for his recovery. News broke Tuesday. He'd been rushed to the hospital. Lawler's former commentary teammate, Jim Ross, tweeted that he spoke with Lawler Tuesday night. And while he was obviously weak, Ross could still understand him despite his affected speech. Lawler's gone through heart issues in the past, suffered his first stroke in 2018, suffered a heart attack during an episode of Raw in 2012 while on commentary, which nearly killed him. He competed in a tag team match earlier on in the show. And yeah, over the last uh, year, over the last 365 days, I think 12 matches Jerry Lawler had wrestled over the last year. So still active, some, God, 47 years in this business, something like that. I'm glad Jerry's doing good. Uh, I think we've had enough already for the year, you know, with the Jay Briscoe thing. And then now last week we also, we lost uh, Lanny Poffo, the genius. So we just, let's take a little break on some of that kind of stuff for a while. Let's get some good things in and, uh, you know, We weren't ready for bad news from Jerry the King Lawler, but Lawler has nine lives. This fucking guy, 
I tell you, this guy will continue to kick out and fight. He's a tough old bastard. He is still wrestling to this very day. I mean, not this very day because he's recovering from the stroke, but uh, looks like he's going to make a full recovery, and my guess is Jerry will probably be back in the ring again before the end of the year. Jerry's a tough old bastard, and, and look, this is what keeps him alive and strong is continuing to wrestle. You know, once you slow down and you, you you settle in and you you start to put your past in the past, that's when you start to die. Jerry's still out there living the present. He's still he doesn't he doesn't know any better. You can't tell him any different. Jerry the King Lawler is still gonna go out there and he's gonna bang twenty and thirty year olds. And he's going to keep them as girlfriends. And he's he's going to be the king of Memphis. And he's going to be around town. And he's going to fucking wrestle in matches. And he'll probably bleed. And he'll punch you in the face and take the strap down. And he's the king. He was just on Raw. He was on Raw 30 doing commentary. Jerry is living in the moment at all times. And I, I honestly, honest to God, I think that's why he's been so lucky. Is because the man has not, he's still living life. He hasn't, he's not ready to hang up the boots yet. And I think, you know, those of us who have had grandparents who, or just anybody elderly in your life, when you've watched people either get sick or they slow down, uh, you know, you can, you can kind of see that happen. But you look, then you look at a guy like Jerry Lawler or even, uh, you know, listening to one of Chris Jericho's rants. I think it was on that Mark Marin podcast. Uh, he was ta- they were talking about Mick Jagger, how he's in his 70s and like how he's still out there kicking ass on stage. And they're commenting like, no, he's not just good for a old guy. He's just good still. He's Mick fucking Jagger. He's out there being a rock star. And it's, it's the same thing with Jerry Lawler. He's a wrestler. He's out there kicking ass. Ric Flair's trying to do the same thing. These guys are still in the fight because they still got fight left in them, and that's important. I think that's very important. But, uh, you know, look, man, we are going to run out of lives at some point, too, you know. Jerry is getting up there, and, and anytime stuff like this happens, it is scary. So uh, it looks like he's going to make a full recovery and be just fine, and thank God for that. Still say an extra prayer because you never know how things work out in this crazy-ass world. Um, but it looks like we're going to have the king around for a little bit longer. And I hope he does make a full recovery. And I hope he does get back into the ring still. And look, anybody that says, ah, these old guys shouldn't do the fucking, eh, let them fucking hang. As long as they're not going to have a heart attack in the middle of the ring, which is certainly possible with like a guy like Ric Flair who's on a pacemaker. Or I guess, hey, I mean, look, Jerry Lawler had one too, so... I guess I get it. I understand. But at the same time, you know, they're not out there doing Hurricane Ranas and shit necessarily. You know, Jerry Lawler match has always kind of basically been punches and headlocks and, and really basic character work and, and more of the the gaga than it has been, you know, actual technical prowess. If you know what I'm saying. So anyway, thoughts and prayers to Jerry the King Lawler. Glad he's going to be doing okay and with that said we're gonna go ahead and move on to the next adrenaline in my soul cody rhodes was on inside the ropes this week doing an interview all about his big road to wrestlemania 
Cody Rhodes winning the Royal Rumble, of course. And on his way, punched his ticket. I fucking hate this. I thought we were done with the Vince-isms. Punch my ticket. I'm punching my ticket. How many times have we heard that? In the sign pointing, pointing to the sign. It's getting old, man. It's getting old, man. Thought that went out the door with the old man, but I guess not. But, hey, maybe he's still around booking shit, and we just don't know. Either way, Cody Rhodes seems to be in the main event of WrestleMania with Roman Reigns, but there's a problem with that. Cody Rhodes, as as ready as people are to see him win the main event of WrestleMania and finish that big story that he had with Dusty Rhodes, you know, his dad, the belt that he could never, ever win. The belt, he came so close, he was holding it in Madison Square Garden, but he never actually got to keep it. So close, it was sitting on the mantle when Cody was growing up, but Dusty never had it. To his name, can Cody fulfill that dream for the dream? Or... We got a Sami Zayn on our hands here. Sami Zayn's been tearing it up all year and quite frankly is the biggest baby face in the company. And, you know, if you were to put the two head to head, who do you want to see win? Who's bigger? Who's better? Cody or Sami? I think you'd get a damn near 50-50. I really do. I think people love both of these stories. So it was a really great question that was asked by Inside the Ropes on this interview to Cody Rhodes. How does he feel about this Sami Zayn character coming on up while you were away on the injured list? And what are, what are we to do with this situation? These two big baby faces ready to beat Roman. How's that going to play out? Here's what Cody had to say. Check out this clip. You know, you obviously squarely focused on Roman, but there's so much going on. Have you been acutely aware, I guess, of the fan clamor for Sammy kind of running parallel with everyone wanting to see you win the title that your dad never did? Like, they're both stories that fans love. But, man, like, in that interim where you were injured, Sammy's just kind of got red hot. I, I, I was fully expecting for all these things to converge, and still I fully expect for all these things to converge just because we have these wonderful options. And with, with all the respect in the world to, to one of the goats, The Rock, it looks like the options that we have here within the roster are even better because of the stories that are happening. One story about finishing something that happened in 1978, seven years before I was even born and wrapping that up. Another story about, you know, the really the tragedy of being welcomed into the bloodline and then and then as you saw uh, what unfolds, I think with the amount of time between now and WrestleMania, it's important that I keep my eyes fixed squarely on WrestleMania and squarely on wrestling for the WWE Undisputed Championship. And I think you hinted at it, and maybe this is the case. That might not be against Roman Reigns. I think it plays out, as I've said before on the show here, that Sammy falls short at Elimination Chamber, and then uh, maybe Jey Uso comes back and costs Sami Zayn the match, and then that leads to Sami and Kevin. Kevin comes out to save Sami while he's getting the beatdown, and it builds to Sami and Kevin versus the Usos 
at WrestleMania. Maybe the Usos have Solo in their corner. So maybe Sammy and Kevin have like a mystery guy in their corner if they really want to go that extra step there. Um, but I think that's exactly how this plays out. I don't think Sammy gets to the main event of WrestleMania versus Roman. Now, if there was no Cody Rhodes in place, I think this is where you would have to go with this. I think you don't do it at the chamber. I think Sammy would have had to win the Royal Rumble. But I don't think that there's this pushback. They were smart to keep Sammy out of the Rumble, by the way. If they would have put him in there and, and then he would have got tossed out, that could have been a backlash. Triple H was smart enough to realize that because it's happened in the past with the Daniel Bryan that they keep comparing it to is a great example of somebody that was just getting over at WrestleMania time, man. And like, no matter who you try to push down our throats, that's not our guy. This is our guy and we're going to push back. But it doesn't seem to be affecting Cody, at least not yet. Um, if Sammy gets over bigger and somehow the fans start to get bored with Cody's act and turn on him a little bit, then uh, maybe things change a little bit. But I'd say for now, they're on a good pace to tell one story that culminates at Elimination Chamber, essentially, and then kind of wraps up and finishes at WrestleMania. Look, we've seen this in history from time to time, right? The bigger thing happens. Uh, look at Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper. They they wrestled at, uh, what was it, the war to settle the score or whatever in Madison Square Garden, and they had their big beef there, and it was the one-on-one -on -one match that led to a later tag team match at WrestleMania, which I thought was the lesser of the two matches. Bigger star power, but Hulk Hogan versus Piper has a much more marquee, you know, uh, main event. But WrestleMania, well, it, anyway, I digress. <laughs> I don't know why I'm going down that random ass sidebar. Here's the say: it was all to say that, you know, the the it's going to come to a head between Roman and Sammy at Elimination Chamber, and then we'll see the tag match with the Usos at Mania. Uh, likely to happen that way. I don't know, but hopefully Cody doesn't start to... Because, look, I still... I love what Cody's doing, and I will agree that his promo with Heyman last week, probably the best, you know, one of the best promos in many years that's been on WWE TV, you know. Um it's easy to have recency bias with some of these, you know, so I don't want to over inflatio it, but uh, overly flate it, if you will. Um, <laughs> but it's uh, it was very, very good. But Cody, you know, I think these WWE fans, did AEW fans turn on Cody because he was too much of a WWE-esque guy and he's just a better fit in WWE, which is absolutely one way to look at it. You know, he's got that very superstar presence. But on the other hand, do they turn on Cody because he was... Cody gets to be a bit much sometimes. You know, if we go week after, like, like look, that was one of the best promos ever, right? Great promo last week, but... How much of the adrenaline in my soul twice an episode sometimes. And Cody's just that baby face. And I think, you know, 
some at some point people might start to see through that as long as they can get past and through wrestlemania with that i think this it's it's an incredible story that they're telling that culminates with a huge baby face crying holding the belt and you know if we're lucky we get the winged eagle back and he gets a little bit of a run but i don't see it getting much past 2023 before cody is a heel because I think the crowd is going to turn on him again because he's, he's Cody Rhodes. As great as he is as as portraying that superstar, it is a little bit of a one-trick pony. And fans will get, you know, he's got the obnoxious amount of pyro and he milks the whole crowd. And I think after a while, the fans see, see enough of that and they're going to want a little bit more. And that's, they're going to start to not react the way Cody likes them as long as they can take that. And turn with that, you can see it, you know, starting to wear away at Cody, and he eventually turns heel. But uh, that's my prediction for the whole thing. But this could go any number of ways. Certainly, maybe we could. We could see a triple threat. We could see Sammy win the title and he faces Cody. We could see somehow Cody's out of the WrestleMania match, and it's Sammy versus Roman there. Uh, maybe Roman defends the title once each night. Who knows? This could go any number of ways but we shall see how it plays out what are your thoughts though as of watching this how do you think this will play out leave your thoughts down in the comments below and jesus christ what a storyline hey what a bunch of storylines wwe's on a roll right now that's it that's all i got for you this week uh hopefully i do not delete this one because i am not recording this shit again uh, it was so dumb last week. I was cleaning out my folder, you know, like all the saved, like, raw recordings, you know, not Monday Night Raw, but, you know, you record the file, and then I'll, I'll after I edit it and add the graphics in and that kind of stuff, uh, then, you know, uh, once it's all processed and uploaded, I don't really need those old raw files anymore. They take up a lot of space. So I was clearing out some of the back catalog ones, and I fucking accidentally deleted the one I had just recorded. So fuck me, right? And I almost didn't do the show last week at all because of that. You know, I got very pissy and I was crabby and I was, it was wasted time because it's not just the time recording, you know, which which took me about two hours last week, too. Um, but then it's the thumbnails, too. I put a lot of work into doing the thumbnails before I even record. You know, I know what I'm going to record, what topics I'm going to cover because I'm recapping the week. Right. So as something happens in a podcast, I know. So I can kind of prepare ahead of time. The thumbnails take a lot of time. So I put a lot of work into that show. And then I was just pissy. And I was like, all right, fuck it. I'm not. Because you also can't go into it with a bad attitude. And that's something uh, I'm learning to work through still that I'm not great at. You know, it's part of being a professional is that you got to be able to work in all conditions, right? Like if I get to a point where I'm like, big enough like some of these other big podcasters youtubers or whatever they got their show every week sometimes every night multiple nights a week you know depending on what their gimmick is what they're doing they can't always be in a good mood right so you know just because i'm pissy doesn't mean like i get to skip a show necessarily and i gotta i gotta build to but the problem with that becomes i don't hide my feelings well i'm not an actor so I can't come on here and be like, hey, what's up? Happy everybody. You know, and I'm like, God fucking damn it. I just spent hours doing this and I scrapped it all. And, you know, I come on here and I'm a little bit pissy. So last week I was probably a little bit pissy and uh, maybe didn't put as much oomph 
into some of the stuff as I might have the first pass. So I do apologize for that. But I, I thought it better to, to do a show still than not do one, you know. But it does take a little of the authenticity out of it, too, because when you're reacting to things, you're trying to give your honest, off-the-cuff thoughts on stuff, sometimes you get on a good little rant or you get a good little thought flow going and sometimes you don't it spits and sputters or whatever but trying to recreate that or kind of get back to that same mind frame uh, especially after you're just you know you're meh. and I took a couple hours off in between you know I actually went and hung out with my kids for a little bit and came back and was in a better mood and I was like all right let's try to let's try to bang this out here so um, hopefully that never happens again. I'm going to be much more careful, lesson learned, but these are the things that happened and, uh, I'm dedicated to keep bringing you shows each and every week. I am endlessly thankful and grateful to have you guys listening, watching whatever you're doing. Um, I'm gonna, just going to keep it rolling. I am creeping up closer to that 1000 subscribers so I can monetize on YouTube. That is the goal. That's what I'm pushing for. So I'm going to keep pushing you guys, you know, if you like it and you're not subscribed on YouTube, please subscribe on YouTube. I would fucking love it. It would make me so happy. Once I get to that monetized status, then I can do more things. You know, I get, can, dedicate more time to this to do more things. I got some cool stuff planned and I apologize. I know I mentioned it a couple weeks ago. I had some fun stuff that I wanted to start doing the wrestling, uh, um, area, but one of them is very graphically intense. Uh, I guess I put more work into it than I need to, but I want it to look cool. Right. So, uh, part of it's just graphically, Whatever, you know, like the thumbnails are part of the graphics of the video and stuff. It's going to take a little bit of work. But I got a couple wrestling-related YouTube video projects that I definitely want to get to this year. Um, you know, and just life and stuff. It's my kid's birthday this weekend, too. So all things in balance, you know. And I got to work the shoot job, brother, brother. I hate that shit. So it's like... I do what I can for you guys, and I'm endlessly grateful that you're here to support me. And I'm just going to keep doing what I can and cranking them out for you guys. So that's my plug. Subscribe on YouTube. Like, follow, subscribe, all that shit too. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, if you're on any of those. But if nothing else, YouTube, man, throw me a bone there. That's all I got for you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting Peace, love, and pizza. Have an amazing Super Bowl weekend. I am your boy, Seth Grimes, and this has been the Pro Wrestling Podcast. 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 You notice Brock Lesnar has like a southern accent now? Where'd that come from? Is he faking that? You think he's faking that? <clears throat> You know, they call it like black scent when you fake a black accent. What do they call country when you fake a country? Country. Faking a country accent. It's the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. <laughs>